are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. With us last week was Paul Wiley, who is the co-founder and chief executive optimizer of Opargo. We talked about how his company was came to be formed through meaningful collision, his perspective on purpose and intention in everyday life and business, and how he crafts the company's culture to achieve the desired business results. It was really a fun and a very informative conversation. With us this week, we are sitting on the Southern Methodist University campus with a professor and two students who have been working on the Hunt Institute's EV project for Earth Day 2017. So with me, I have a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Owen Lynch, who is the Associate Professor and also Senior Research Fellow of the Hunt Institute. And we also have with us Maggie Inhoff, who is a graduate, she's in the graduate program in the Lyle School of Engineering, and Sylvia Rivera, who is a triple major in business, Spanish, international studies, slightly over or underachievers in this crowd here. And then there's me, by the way. Um, and we are here on, on, the, on the SMU campus. We are going to be talking a bit about this actual project here and how it came to be, what they're trying to address. And the reason I wanted to have these people on the show is that when I spoke with Corey Harris, who is the program manager at the Hunt Institute, and she told me about what they're up to, I thought, wow, here is an, an example of SMU and the Hunt Institute really facilitating students getting to do meaningful work, working on purpose before they even get out of college. So that's why I wanted to have them on the show. And I think their project is pretty awesome. So to kick us off here, I would love it, Dr. Lynch, if you could tell us a bit about the context. What is it that this project, and I know a lot of your interests are really trying to address in the community. What's the problem? So the problem in broad terms, uh, especially where we live in Texas, but also we're looking at on a global level as well as local, is the intersection between global poverty and extreme climate change uh, and how those two things coming together puts uh, populations at severe risk. And so as the world becomes hotter, uh, more crowded, uh, more unpredictable, um, as crops become less available, um, as, as resources become more difficult to find, we have to find solutions uh, to help alleviate the, these risks, uh, especially when, they are, uh, when they're in extremes such as uh, floods or other extreme weather conditions. But then also we have to find solutions that fit people's lives. Uh, and so that they're culturally acceptable and they work with the way people are currently living. So if we adapt or create a technology that is beyond people or so different that people won't adapt it or use it or think about it, then we really haven't helped the situation. In fact, we might have made it worse. So the, the, the problems are always larger than just climate or larger than just lack of access to resources. They're also economic. They're also cultural, social. They're also housing. They're also transportation. So the, we take a systematic approach 
and try to bring experts in from all these different areas to think about uh, problems and how we can best alleviate uh, risks and help people's lives improve. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. That is the context that I was looking to, to start with so that our listeners can follow why this project is so cool and so important. I know that you have been passionate about food deserts for a long time because mm-hmm. you and I have had several conversations about, about this topic. Will you say a little about some of the other things that you know that have been happening around the Dallas area to address this issue, maybe what you've done? Further context for us. Yeah, so I was um, a young uh, faculty member. Uh, I was just I was just getting tenure at that time. And two of my college students came to me and asked me if they could help them do some research in what they called a food desert, which is a term I had actually heard nothing about. This was about eight years ago. And so I was one, what is a food desert? And what a food desert is basically, it is in an urban area, there's people who live with one square mile without access to fresh food. And I found out that I was living one mile away from the center of one of the nation's largest food deserts in the country, uh, one of the largest population of ungrocery people, uh, and one of the largest populations have less access to health, fresh fresh food. And so as I dove into it from more of a just beyond going a map and started to understand um, what it's like to live in these communities, researching in these communities, I, I found out that there's been a lot of studies done of food deserts and, and looking at it from a resource perspective of a food as it is defined by what people don't have. But what is it like to live in these communities and what sustainable change can we create by working with people in these communities? So I had uh, my students and myself ended up doing research with schools and taking uh, pictures of what they thought were healthy and then using those to talk to their neighbors. And we created solutions based on that that we felt would best fit those communities to alleviate the problem of food deserts within those uh, within those communities. Asset, and that's called a movement called asset-based community development, where we look at what current assets are available, how do we take those assets and leverage them to create sustainable growth for people living within those communities. And it's more difficult than most people realize. Probably one of the, the strangest issues is food deserts are flooded with lots of free food um, or food excess from our food system that goes into free lunch programs, or goes into school lunch, and those are really necessary because people are hungry in the moment. But then what that also means is that the system is so good at creating food coming in to Dallas from outside, we don't create it ourselves. And so if there ever was a, a, a stoppage of that food coming into those communities, there'd be severe hunger uh, and be crisis, but also that there's no jobs being grown and there's no stores local to people. So the money, the jobs, everything's leaving this community and they have to go outside to find it or bring it in. And so what you find is this really strange phenomenon of people living in a community that is not just a food desert. That's just one symptom. It's also a job desert. It's also a health desert. It's also a transportation uh, infrastructure desert. And so we see a whole half of our city where even though Dallas was the fastest growing city, uh, according to Forbes, uh, over the last 10 years, we see that we were also in the highest growth in poverty rate. That 38% of our children are living in poverty. Uh, which is which is disturbing. But what's really disturbing is that with all of our economic growth we've really seen here, we see more millionaires being made in Dallas than any other city in the country. We still see chronic um, pockets of poverty, and that's the real issue. And the Dallas Fed recognizes 10 years ago that if we didn't address it, it could be the thing that brings down this whole region, that um, these chronic pockets of poverty just feed on themselves, and they, and People have to leave to go get groceries, have to leave to go get jobs, have to leave to go get health care, have to leave to go get better schools. And then what about the people who remain in that community or how does that community itself sustain or grow out? Because all the solutions are provided on the outside or for the outside. 
And so how do we create techn- technological or social solutions to create bottom-up change? And that's really been my passion for the last eight years. And I've been working in, and failing and working and succeeding uh, in bringing solutions to, to, to help that situation. And that's how I got um, connected into the Hunt Institute. I actually originally came as a client. So as a collaborator who had a solution and the Hunt Institute helped me pipeline and develop that solution. And that's one of the things that we do at the Institute. We work with students, we work with entrepreneurs, we work with academics. They come into the center and that they have a solution and the engineers are all about solutions and making solutions better to alleviate poverty. How do we help them develop that solution to have a reach and fix a problem, but also see if it it can be sustained and then also uh, then tested and go to other uh, places and see if that can have a, a larger larger effect. So that's part of the, what the whole Hunt Institute's ethos is, is to um, bring people who are passionate about alleviating a problem, but then also finding a way to make that fit pe- people's lives and then also seeing if we can scale that out to different environments. And so that's how I came here. And now, ironically, I work here. <laughs> Uh, and what I do is I help other people with solutions to see if it fits into uh, local uh, local problems in South Dallas and local problems in, in Dallas as a whole and see if we can test their solutions locally. And if they work, we can then try and scale those nationally and internationally, whether it be grocery stores or what, kind of like the project the students will talk about today. That is such a fantastic context, Dr. Lynch. Thank you so much for helping us understand where this came from. A couple things I want to follow up on what you said. So you use the word sustainability. To me, the other side of that is dependency, right? So what I heard you say is that absent these communities having their, having access to fresh food, they are dependent on people bringing it to them. So therefore, they're, they are, it isn't sustainable and they can't really develop and blossom and grow. That's what I heard. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So there are people who can go get can go get groceries for themselves uh, and go and spend. It's it's if they don't have access to transportation, it, it is it's extremely difficult. It's it's a two to three hour round trip to go get groceries. Um, but there because there's no grocery stores or there's only one grocery store within their community. Um, but if they're elderly or if they're children, um, if they're working 80 hours because they're working two jobs just to, to keep their family going, that finding the time um, f- and having the resources to to get and source groceries can be difficult. So there are lots of programs that help bringing food in, uh, whether it be through schools and, and they do excellent work. Uh, but ironically, in fact, most of the groceries that come into Dallas are warehoused in the south and then get moved north to the grocery stores. But the excess from that system is the basis on which we feed um, the summer food programs, for example, in which the, many of the charities work, the food banks um, instead of, but there's many local lots that are available that people can grow their own food. But growing is difficult. And this is a kind of a, everyone's talking about community gardens and they're wonderful things. And they are wonderful for building communities. But they're also a little bit somewhat of a trap because the, you have to be able to understand climate and understand the extreme climates we have in Texas. And how do you farm in those climates? You have to have some level of expertise in terms of being able to use resources wisely and have enough scale and scope to make it marketable. Or even if you just want to feed your family, know exactly what you're growing and how to grow it. And so we need solutions that also not only fit the cultural patterns of people and then what they want to eat, but also fit the climate in which we live and the difficulties of that, that climate change is having. So we need to test multiple different platforms in which to grow, in which to educate ourselves, in which to teach ourselves about nutrition. Um, you know, we, we, the, we have this irony of uh, 48% of Dallas children, county children, are obese. And a large amount of those children are living with are in the osteogenic environments, of which ironically is a food desert. 
That's because even though there may be no access to fresh, healthy food, there are fast food restaurants which can sustain themselves in those communities. Um, And so we have this food habits develop over time when you have access to only unhealthy food, limited access to get fresh food, then also we find uh, we find unhealthy eating patterns. Uh, and so how do we – lots of things need to get tackled from education of nutrition to how to grow healthily, to integrate fresh food into communities that is not just on the outside, um, local job growth and how can we use food as a vehicle for local job growth. Uh, I know that myself, as an example, I, I started at the age of 13 working in restaurants um, and that's what my, that, was my, that was my job that got me through high school but all the way through college I worked – all the way into grad school I worked in restaurants working as a chef. And that, that paid for, that's why I walked out of school with very little debt because I had those skills. But there were multiple restaurants in my community I can go to and work. And I could walk into a restaurant and show my skills and growing up in that community and I could have a job. If there's no place for a, for a young person to go and work and learn those skills unless they have to travel two miles, two hours to get there after school, how do they get, how do they get even skill access to learn that to have those jobs? So the, it's, it's more than just... A grocery store. It isn't going to be solved by having a great community garden or one grocery store. It's about a food system and it's about education and access and things that we shouldn't have to live in an environment that's bereft of those, but but many of our citizens in Dallas do. And then many of our global citizens do as well. So local solutions here can also then be taken and studied and measured in other places as well. So it's a it's a it's a opportunity to learn and help our, our local communities, but it's also an opportunity then to see if what works and doesn't work, to to test things and then pilot projects. And so it, it, it's exciting to be in a place where you get to spend your time, when you say working on purpose. It's, it's exciting to be in a place where um, so much of your brain energy, whether it be in thinking, whether it be in starting a project, whether it be in helping communities, whether it be in assessing communities so they can do their job better, or whether it be encouraging students, whether it be uh, leading, uh, whether it be letting students do their own projects, goes towards solving real-world issues that affect people's every day, and that that's that's something that is a gift that most people don't have. It is a gift, and again, that's one of the reasons I wanted to showcase what you're doing because I think if it can very much be a template that can be rolled out in many other places, in many other universities, and places all over the world, and I also know that. It doesn't get done alone in a vacuum. I know that you over the years have worked with many different kinds of people to be able to address these issues. I know you work with master gardeners. You've worked with restaurants that work with various populations to be able to provide labor and access to jobs. Um, We're going to go on a break here shortly, but can you just say a a few things about those kinds of partnerships? Yeah, so the nice – well, the the Hunt Institute has a consortium of experts of multiple fields, and this goes from – uh, experts who are, are, are working coding and how to do uh, algorithms to make systems smarter to people who know how to grow seeds to help a local farm have better crops. And from that whole scale, we have people who are, everyone is just as valuable in, in forming solutions that fit communities, whether they be a local gardener who starts a gardening club but has access to the kids in their community and so they'll try food from them, or whether it be a world health expert who knows how to grow fish in aquaponic systems. But the nice thing about the Hunt Institute is that we are connected both locally in communities um, that are experiencing poverty. We're also connected at academic universities with some of the great minds. We're also connected in business uh, all the way up to the, the World Bank and the UN. We are part of the World UN's uh, Extreme uh, Climate Conference. And so the, we're, we're a table 
which all these people can come to and they can share and learn with each other and build a collaborative um, solution. And so we believe that complex problems require com- really require complex solutions and they require sensitive solutions. And you can't get that by just having one person with one idea bull forward and create something. It has to be an iterative process that involves mistakes and relearning and retraining. And that's the perfect process in which to bring students in to get involved in that messy world, but to learn from all sides and all angles. Because that's, that's where you really learn by, by getting your hands in and seeing it from that, from that frame. I loved how you actually situated that over a table. Did you mean mm-hmm. to do that? Yes, yeah, it's a metaphor that we use. <laughs> probably, so subconsciously, okay, but we use metaphor bringing people to the table, uh-huh. a consortium. But yeah, I mean, I think it starts with just like right now, we're all sitting around this microphone. It starts with people connecting with each other, sharing their perspectives, being open to each other, listening, uh, and looking for a common product or a common solution to a problem. Uh, and and whether it be someone who's the world expert in climate science. Uh, or whether it be somebody who's trying to grow a better tomato, um, they both have value in that conversation, and both can inform the other on their on on what the net, their solution can be. So I, I think it's important that we bring. It's it's odd for a university to have a space like this that allows for that level of uh, collaboration, but I think it's necessary if we're going to tackle these problems that are affecting people's lives. Excellent. Fantastic, Dr. Lynch. That was a a wonderful way for us as listeners to be able to understand what it is you're trying to address and why it's important. So we've been on the air with Dr. Owen Lynch, who is an associate professor and senior research fellow of the Hunt Institute here at Southern Methodist University. We've been talking a bit about his passion and love that he's been trying to address through the Hunt Institute and the Project EV. And after the break, we're going to hear from two of the students that have been very instrumental working on this project. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, I have a few guests here from Southern Methodist University and the Hunt Institute. Before the break, we were talking with Dr. Owen Lynch, who is the Associate Professor and Senior Research Fellow of the Hunt Institute. And he helped us understand the problem that he and the students on the Hunt Institute are trying to address. In this next segment, I've got two brilliant students with me. I have Maggie Inhoff with me and also Sylvia Rivera. These two students have been very instrumental on what's called the EV project that is being released in conjunction with Earth Day 2017 here through the Hunt Institute. And for this segment, we were here on the campus at SMU, and I were all huddled around a, a small little desk here in the Hunt Institute talking about this. And I've asked them to share about what the what they've been doing on the project. I think you'll find it quite interesting. So first, since none of our listeners know either of you, um, Maggie, will you first just introduce yourself, say a little bit about who you are, what's your background, what are you studying, and why are you connected to this project? Sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Maggie. I am a graduate student in the MADI program here at SMU. That's Master of Arts in design and innovation. Uh, the really the crux of the program is uh, studying this concept called human-centered design, uh, which essentially means going out into the field to research and identify who are the key players, who are the participants, uh, who are the people living every uh, sort of the realities of everyday experiences and bringing them into the design process. Uh, so it's on the softer side of engineering. My undergraduate background is in architecture. So uh, I came in with the perspective a lot about the built environment. And um, I found out about the Hunt Institute actually last year. Um, I was working on an independent research project uh, focused on refugee housing in refugee camps. And a vocational mentor, a friend of a friend of a friend, connected me um, to the, the concepts that were being worked on here at the Hunt Institute. Uh, and for that, I sort of packed up my life, moved to Dallas uh, to begin working here. Um, and for the past several months, that has involved working on the EV project, um, which we will talk about really soon, I hope. Yes, it's fantastic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Miss Sylvia. Hi. Um, so I'm a junior at SMU. I'm studying business, international studies, and Spanish. Um, and I've been working at the Hunt Institute for two years as a student analyst. That's what we call it. Um, as undergrads. And what really brought me to the Institute is the same thing that made me major in what I'm majoring in. Um, so I've always wanted to work on social problems and I've always wanted to do that in a different way or what I perceive to be sort of an innovative approach um, to social problem solving. That's why I majored in business, international studies in Spanish, um, and that's why I'm at the Hunt Institute. So it's really exciting to get to work on projects like these. Um, Join the EV team in January and I'm really excited to share the project with you. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Working on Purpose. So early in life already. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the EV project. What is it? Sure. Uh, So I'll just kind of walk through the history of the project, if that's okay. Um, So I was brought on to the team to essentially build a greenhouse for the SMU campus. That was sort of the one-line description uh, of the project that I would be working on. And um, as the conversation continued to evolve um, with all of the different players on campus, we found ourselves with the need uh, to make a solution that was much more adaptable than we originally thought it needed to be, Um, and particularly around the question of mobility. We needed a greenhouse that would be able to be picked up and transplanted uh, and moved to different places, either around campus or even within the city of Dallas. Um, And thinking about sort of the broader mission of the Hunt Institute, which is creative problem solving uh, in this area of food deserts in particular and um, thinking about what it might mean to 
uh, to create something that was adaptable, that was flexible. This really seemed to align much better with our vision. Um, so just a couple of months ago, we purchased a 1983 Shasta trailer um, that was sort of falling into disrepair in a small city in uh, so- more southern Texas. And um we brought it here to SMU's campus and began to think as a team about how we might retrofit it to be a mobile greenhouse um, that could serve the SMU campus, but that could also serve a wider variety of purposes. Um, so we sort of began thinking through all the different capacities it could have and settled on this idea of an educational trailer, um, something where we could showcase all of the different research that is happening here in conjunction with the Hunt Institute. Um, so being able to uh, show what our engineers without borders are doing through different plans labs uh, to talk about different vertical growing systems uh, and then again to sort of experiment with this concept of mobility. So uh, we worked on retrofitting the inside kind of fixing the exterior to make it a little bit more, I hope, aesthetically pleasing um, and sort of cutesy. Uh, and then this weekend, it will actually be debuting at Earth Day, Texas, um, which is down at Fair Park. So um, we are hoping that she will have a wide audience to receive her and that people will able uh, be able to look in the windows and really get a feel uh, for what we've been working on, not only in the past couple of months on this trailer specifically, but the sort of wider variety of projects that are happening in the Hunt Institute. Wonderful. And what does EV stand for, or does it stand for something? So it's not an acronym, but it's sort of a nickname. Uh, so we, the naming process for EV was quite prolonged. Um, and we originally uh, sort of were thinking about doing something um I don't know, just with a deeper meaning, but we found that a lot of those were really difficult to pronounce. So we finally settled on Evelyn being uh, a name that sort of uh, invokes this idea of life-giving or growing or nurturing, uh, and then shortened it to Evie just because it was a little cuter, a little easier to say, and um, just given the personality of the trailer that it now has, we think is a much better fit. <laughs> I, I have seen the trailer. No, I've not. That was just the before photos. I've not seen the after photos. I can't wait. <laughs> She's changed a lot okay, good. <laughs> for the better. Good, good. Yeah, well, tell, tell us about really who's been involved in this. I mean, to pull off a project like this, it's got to take an army. Sure. So, yeah, our team uh, is... A really interesting mix, actually. We have a lot of students uh, from a bunch of different backgrounds working on this project. Um, so the Hunt Institute is physically located within the Lyle School of Engineering. So we tend to attract much more engineering-ly uh, focused majors. But as Sylvia just said, you know, she's business, she's international studies, she's Spanish. So we also tend to get a mix. Um, so I can just sort of run through all the different participants. Um, so we have Millie, who uh, her background is in environmental engineering, and she is now a master's student in uh, sustainability and development. Uh, we have Alejandro, who's our mechanical engineer and has been working on uh, a lot of the almost like, um, I guess, like mechanics of the trailer. Uh, we have Wendy and JD, who um, are tag teaming uh, what it means to actually grow things um, in the trailer. They've done a lot of research on hydroponics and a lot of different things for the Engineers Without Borders plant lab. Um, so we're in integrating their expertise through that. Um, Then we have Allie, who's a marketing major, and she has really focused on um, the graphics of this trailer, the advertising, how we're going to uh, present it to the SMU community and to the city at large. Um, We have Alex, who has worked on a lot of the artistic uh, sort of evolutions of the trailer and does a lot of computer 
graphics and simulations. And then we have Kunthiar, who's actually um, our sort of community member who has come into the project. And she is a master gardener. She is involved with the current SMU community garden, um, knows everything about composting and essentially plant life. And so we've brought her on to make sure that everything stays alive <laughs> for as long as possible. <laughs> so let me guess, you don't want me on the team then because I killed everything. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, okay. that's me too. So. Okay. Um, now, what about community partners? I wanted, I want to say that you've got a few community partners you're working with too. Yes. No? Absolutely. So, um, the the trailer was largely brought about um, in the timeline that it was because of a, a really wonderful partnership that emerged with um, uh, Big Tex Farms. And they have actually agreed to take on the trailer after Earth Day Texas and continue to exhibit it for, um, I believe, the next three years. It, its home will be there. Um, so through a partnership there, through this wonderful partnership through Earth Day Texas, who has offered to host us, um, uh, we have another sort of... Uh, one that needs to be mentioned, which is Mario. He was um, really helped us with a lot of the interior renovations of the trailer, really made our vision come alive. Um, so sort of through this really powerful trifecta, uh, we ended up with the product that we have today. Beautiful. And I can, I can see that you are slightly excited about this. <laughs> I'm really slightly. excited. I'm really excited that it happened because I think for a while we were all really worried that it wasn't going to. Um, just the timeline was so condensed, uh, so tight. But um, like I sort of said and going through even just the list of people that were involved having all of these different perspectives and everyone being so willing to participate and so willing to sort of uh, put rubber to the road so to speak uh, to get it show ready and ready to go um, yeah it's been an incredible process and speaking of timeline I, I I wondered why and I got a little bit of this before we, we went on air so if you could say more about this um, why what's the connection to Earth Day Right. Um, so the connection to Earth Day is um, essentially gave us a deadline. <laughs> um, so at the Heinz Institute, we're really, really good at interdisciplinary work. Um, we love research and we really like to get things right. Um, but sometimes that can be a problem in that, um, you know, we spend all this time on research, 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 and we can't get to the application of, of the problem. Um, so Earth Day Texas was just an amazing way for us to have a deadline um, and to have a platform to showcase our work. Um, and it made us, you know, throughout the whole process of retrofitting EV, um, I worked on the concept applications, which I can talk about in a little bit, um, just kind of, it, it made us just kind of walk through that process without stalling um, as much as maybe we would in, in other projects that we want to get so perfect and so right here at the Institute. So it was just a great great process for us. I think that's a brilliant way to go about getting something done. Yeah. <laughs> Hitch yourself to something that's already sitting out there for a date and just go for it. I exactly. think it's brilliant. You mentioned the concept, you said the concept phase. Right, yeah, so um, Mackie was talking a lot about sort of the evolution and, and the purpose of the project, but something that was kind of happening parallel um, to the retrofitting and, and all the growing activities and everything was, you know, the fact that this trailer for us represented opportunities, right? So we thought that there could be multiple applications, not just the educational application that we're showcasing at Earth Day Texas, but multiple applications to the mobile greenhouse solution um, for a lot of different kinds of you know, problems. And so they brought me on to, um, as a business student, I suppose, and, you know, the international studies to bring the economically viable um, perspective, to bring the global perspective, the local perspective um, to the project and see, you know, what what the applications could be. So we ended up coming up with four um, pretty exciting applications to a mobile greenhouse, and I'll just run through them really quickly. Um, the first one is the teaching community garden concept um, or application, and that one will be on display at Earth Day Texas. Um, so the application for the mobile greenhouse in that context would be to make community gardening 
more accessible to urban teachers and students um, and, you know, let them garden um, without the need for flex- fixed plot of land um, and with the opportunity to sort of share gardens between schools and school districts. So that was really exciting for us um, and an educational component. Um, next, we had our sustainable business concept, um, which I worked a lot with. And that's essentially the idea that, um, you know, millennial consumers are demanding products and services that have positive environmental and social impact. Um, and they're demanding organic and local produce. And so the mobile greenhouse would be, you know, an innovative way to help companies meet, you know, competitive demands. Um, and so we thought of restaurant owners, restaurant suppliers, catering chefs, and all these other exciting um, sustainable business ideas. Um, and the next concept, which is the third, um, would be the urban co-op concept. And that was kind of a branching off of sustainable business in that, you know, for those who don't know what urban co-op farming is, um, it is a way of sustainable business, but it's particularly special and, and resilient in the sense that, you know, it allows communities to pool limited resources to create businesses of scale um, and develop local assets and resources and spread wealth. Um, these are just a bunch of hot words that mean that it empowers communities, right? Um, and so it's, you know, a very special application of business um, that the mobile greenhouse could bring. Um, and then finally, another application that was close to a lot of people's hearts on this project would be the mobile greenhouse as a crisis relief trailer. Um, so as a response to natural and humanitarian disasters, which often destroy local food sources and push individuals from their homes. Um, so just some statistics in the last 10 years, the number of displaced people in the world has grown, um, tripled actually, um, and is now at 60 million people. And these people spend an average of 12 years living in refugee camps. Um, and the two, you know, principal problems that they encounter there are malnutrition, yes, but also psychological well-being, um, which has been compromised by all the things that they've had to face. Um, so community gardens have been identified for years as a solution to these two problems. And in particular, this mobile greenhouse would, you know, take that one step further and allow communities to maximize growing space, um, to grow in a variety of hostile environments. Um, not every refugee camp is in a place that you can grow things in. And um, something that was also very important is that potential to take their food source with them if they were ever to move um, camps or communities. So these are just four of the applications that, you know, we were able to develop um, throughout this limited timeline. And we look forward to, you know, going deeper on one or two or maybe all four of them. I'm listening to this, ladies, and I'm, I'm getting so excited. Just the four, I think to myself, wow, I mean, if you really developed any one of these things, it could be a not just a full-time job, but a full organization, business, whatever. Uh, this is huge, what you're doing. You recognize that, yes? <laughs> we hope so, yeah. You hope so, yeah, it is. It's huge. So I, I want to ask several questions, but I want to next get into what you're each really proud of for this project. Go ahead, Sylvia. Yeah, um, I think it goes off of what I mentioned before in that, you know, when I got to college, I, I, like I said, I knew I wanted to work to solve social problems. And I had this idea that if you got really smart people um, in a room with resources, that amazing things got done. And that's what I thought, you know, um, everything that I admired, you know, that's what that process was. And it turns out that that's true, but that it's also a lot of hard work. Um, and I'm really, really proud of our team for going through that process. Um, I had never done something like this project before and it just, it made me see how exciting it is, um, the obstacles and the successes of a project like this. Um, so yeah, definitely the process is what I'm most proud of besides the 
the product, which I also think is amazing. Wonderful, Sylvia. Yeah, uh, yeah, quite similarly. Uh, Thank you. Excuse I think, me. Oh no, you're fine. Uh, quite similarly, I think I'm really proud of um, how resilient our team has been in that. Um, even thinking through each of these concepts, there are a million obstacles that immediately, like you see all the opportunity. I'm much more cynical. I see all of the things that stand in the way. But um, even in navigating um, the sort of hypothetical obstacles in navigating the very real ones that we faced, um, the team has been incredibly resilient. And Corey sort of um, our, uh, I don't know even how she, I feel, deserves so many different labels. But I think for this project, certainly our cheerleader and uh, source of energy and source of drive um, has continued to rally the team and continued um, to ensure that every student has a voice in seeing where this project goes. Um, and working, as Sylvia said, with uh, a lot of capable people can sometimes be very challenging. It can be challenging um, having different backgrounds, having different expectations, having different schedules even. Um, but I think we as a team have maximized uh, all of those things to ensure that they've been really beneficial instead of detrimental to our team. Um, so I've been proud just to be part of the process. Uh, and I guess I'm excited to see what the the reception is this weekend. So you're both going to be here for the weekend, right? You're going to actually be part of the weekend of festivities. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be volunteering. Um, there's also, we didn't mention this, but <laughs> there's something else that we're very proud of in that we're going to have a children's activity at um, EB, so the trailer, um, from 1 to 3 p.m. at Earth Day, Texas. And so we'll both be there um, helping children plant um, their own little mini gardens in these reused water bottles that we recycled for the project. Um, many hours of work went into that. <laughs> so we're very proud of it, and we can't wait to have people over, especially children, which we believe you know, is kind of the future of everything always. Um, so we love to have them as a central part of the exhibit. Yeah. And I think even just to, to go off of that, um, you like thinking about sort of the the level of attention of detail that has gone into this project. Like, yes, we were working on the overall scheme and the design and the outer wrap, but we were also thinking about like, what is the sticker on each little water bottle going to say that these kids can take home with them? Um, so I really have enjoyed how holistic and how thorough this project has been. Um, and yeah, having the opportunity to be out there all day Saturday afternoon to be able to really showcase this and to engage people, um, to get them excited about the future concepts and not just have this as a, a one-off yes we ticked every box we got it all done but this is much more of a launching pad I think than a finalized product yeah so definitely join us to plant with the children from one to three <laughs> we would love to see you there we'll talk more about this after the break but we're already up for our next break here uh, I'm, I'm Elise Cortez your host we've been on the air with two students from Southern Methodist University who are part of the Hunt Institute's EV project we have with me Maggie Inhoff and Sylvia Rivera. They've been talking to us about really how the EV project came about and what's really been involved, some of the applications that they hope to be able to achieve through it. After the break, we'll talk more in detail about what's actually happening within that project. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, I have two guests here with me from Southern Methodist University and the Hunt Institute. With me are Maggie Inhoff and Sylvia Rivera. Earlier on the show, we had Dr. Owen Lynch, who is the Associate Professor and Senior Research Fellow of the Hunt Institute, who gave us a really good basis of why this project is so important and what, what it is that the students and all of the people that are involved are really trying to address. Here next, what we want to talk about is we want to talk about really what happens to Evie after this weekend when she launches. So after this week, this is going to be around Earth Day. You've got all these activities that are planned here and, and it, it's already a big splash. I've seen a lot of the social media around this project here, but what happens to Evie after this weekend? Right. So, um, Part of the, the point of, of showing EV off is that we want feedback, right? Um, so we will be um, allowing people who visit EV and who are at Earth Day Texas to vote um, on, you know, one of the four concepts that I mentioned before. So teaching in community garden trailer, um, sustainable business, urban co-op farm, and um, crisis relief. So we're going to have, you know, some information on those four concepts and we want to get feedback um, from college students, from adults, from professionals, from people of all walks of life who have something to say about um, what they think about these concepts and which one they think is the most um, impactful and economically viable. Um, so that, that will help determine the fate um, of this project going forward. Definitely that feedback. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Maggie? Sure. Yeah, I think it's been really um, 
fun and both a little challenging to see Evie as a prototype. Um, she happened, you know, over a very quick period uh, or sort of a very long buildup and then the actual implementation was actually quite rapid. And I think we should refer to her as a rapid prototype. Um, and because the timeline was so condensed there, there were a lot of things that we wanted to explore that we didn't have the opportunity to. Um, so some of the conversations that we've had about moving forward is how could we do this um, but not need an air conditioner or not need a heater in the trailer? How could we do this so that the ventilation is optimized, even in the sort of crazy Texas climate, to be able to keep it cool enough that plants can grow year-round? Um, how could we do this without buying materials from Home Depot? Could we salvage everything and sort of go to the junkyard and find all of these things that are being thrown away, taken to the landfill, and repurpose them to do something constructive? Um, I think we've talked a lot about, like, is this ever going to be economically viable? Could we, at some point, partner with a small entrepreneur and say, this is a great investment for you um, to to work on this for the next several years to take it with you as your business evolves. Um, so so Evie's just sort of the very beginning, um, sort of the dry run of seeing what we are capable of. And then, like Sylvia said, getting feedback to see what people are really interested in seeing happen in the future. Um, but I think what we as a team want to do is essentially harness all of our different interests and all of the things that are already happening in conjunction with the hunt and really utilize uh, the next Evie, whatever she or he will be called, uh, to showcase those more effectively effectively. Beautiful. So about, we're, and we'll hit, we'll hit this again at, at the end of the very show as well, but I got to believe there are people out there listening right now that are sitting on the edge of their seats going, this is so <laughs> exciting. What can I do to help? So what can people do to help? Absolutely. So there are a couple of things I can think of right away. Um, the first sort of main thing is to come out and meet her. Um, we're going to be at Fair Park this weekend, Saturday from 10 to 6. The entire student team will be there and you can interact with us and ask questions about the trailer. Um, as Sylvia mentioned earlier, there's specifically a kids activity happening from 1 to 3 p.m. Um, so that would be a great opportunity to interact in person and to get some feedback. Um, you can also visit smu.edu forward slash Hunt Institute, or visit our Facebook page, the Hunt Institute for Engineering and Humanity, to learn about other projects that are happening within the Hunt. Um, if you uh, would like to partner with us um, moving on a moving forward on a project in the future, um, be it a fiscal donation or coming out to one of our events, that would be a great way uh, to find out about those. Okay. And definitely, um, I'd like to add to that, just involvement at the Hunt Institute in general. So this is, you know, one specific project that we're working on, um, but there's so much more that goes on at the Hunt Institute. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but there are very <laughs> exciting things under wraps. Um, and we very much want the community to be part of that. The Hunt Institute is specifically about um, interacting with the community. So if you do visit us on that website, smu.edu forward slash Hunt Institute, um, and take a look at our other projects, and find something of interest to you, our contact information is right there. Um, and the best time to partner with us is always every step of the process. We bring in new people. Um, that's what makes working here so exciting. And um, yeah, we're definitely looking for partnerships on this project, but also on all the other things that we're doing. So come check us out. Yeah. And you're welcome to come to our physical location as well. Our offices are um, always hosting visitors and we love to have people come and see the space that we work in uh, because it's sort of a lovely collaborative hub. Um, so we're at 3145 Dyer Street on the SMU campus, Suite 206. In Dallas, Texas. Right. In Dallas, Texas. And we're sitting here right now and it is incredibly beautiful. We're sitting, I mean, just the property here at SMU, the campus is just stunning. It's green and gorgeous. And the office here is full of bright light. It's just Stunning. So come by for that reason alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
I, you know that I have to ask, ladies, because I am, I do teach here at SMU as well, and I'm a meeting and work researcher, and I care about how people experience meaning in their lives and their work. So you know I have to ask you each where your career, where you hope your careers will go. So, Sylvia, will you go first? What, what, first, when are you going to graduate, mm-hmm. and with what, and where, what do you hope to do once you graduate? Sure. Um, so, this question is very common <laughs> as a triple major. <laughs> right. well, what are you going to do, actually? And yeah. so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this, and so I'm a junior right now, graduating um, May 2018, so in exactly one year. Um, and I would love to start off um, in business as of now. Um, I have an internship this summer with an amazing, amazing business firm that I'm very happy to be working with. Um, and I'll be doing half of my internship here in Dallas, Texas, and the other half in Bogota, Colombia, um, which is perfect for me and, and my interest in international development. Um, so the long-term goal is to start off in business and then move on to international development, possibly with the World Bank or the UN, um, which are huge aspirations. But yeah, that would be the goal. And this is just an awesome way to start um, before I even graduate. So. One of the things that I always tell my students when I work with them, because, of course, what what I'm doing in part when I teach my classes is I'm helping them get and keep their first job. And I emphasize how important it is to network and meet people and keep in touch with them. Right. And that means that you have to have a good like a LinkedIn profile. You got to have business cards. You got to have a way for them to easily find you. Um, I won't ask that now of you, but <laughs> you should get bombarded. But um, I just really want to emphasize that for our listeners and anybody that's in that spot that is out there just beginning. Um, so important to cultivate those relationships. And you're starting it already, so it's beautiful, right? Thank you. Maggie, what about you? What do you what 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 when you going to graduate? With what and what do you want to do? Sure. So I, like Sylvia, will graduate um, in spring of next year. It will be with my master's degree in design and innovation. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my formal background is in architecture. Um, and sort of when I graduated, I didn't think that I wanted to go work for a formal studio. Um, essentially, sit down, be working on drawings or projects all day. Um, and so I came into the the Maddie program and into the Hunt Institute, sort of with ambiguous. Uh, and I would say sort of ambiguous ambitions as to where I want to take this. Um, but sort of the spaces that I'm interested in working um, are still with refugee housing, um, thinking about um, how to bring refugees into the process of designing these camps if they're going to be um, living in a situation um, that they have absolutely no autonomy over. It seems only right to get as much of their perspective into that process as possible. Um, So I'm really interested in almost alternative housing. Um, We have a great partner here at the Hunt Institute called Dwell Earth, and they are working on um, revitalizing the compressed earth block process, um, which essentially means making houses out of dirt, um, which I think to us, we sort of have uh, a reaction that is maybe less than pleasing when we hear that, but I would encourage everyone to go look at their website and see some of the amazingly modern houses they've been able to build uh, from soil. So I'm really interested in that space. I'm interested in doing um, postgraduate work. Um, And uh, I I don't know. I I think actually being at SMU has opened my eyes much more than narrowed my focus, Um, thinking about uh, doing further research, uh, different methodologies of research, bringing people into the research process. These have all become uh, relatively new, but really, I think, um, hopefully permanent fixtures in my life so yeah and and I would add to that and say that you know the Hunt Institute with this emphasis on interdisciplinary work really gets you addicted to that and it's hard um, to compromise on that when you're thinking about graduation because you're like I want to work with very different people all the time because I get so much out of it here Um, so definitely working at the Institute has you know helped me 
think about what I want to do. And then it's also made me very bratty about where I work after this. Um, so hopefully in a very, very diverse environment like it is here. One of the reasons that I love to be able to teach here at Southern Methodist University is because, one, I want to stay connected to young people like you who are hopelessly smart and up to some really cool things. And you work so hard. And it's just it's really an honor and a privilege to get to work with students like you. Um, really, it's an inspiration for me. And the other reason that I like to be able to teach, because I'm a, I'm a management consultant first and foremost, that's how I spend my most of my life and that's how I make my money. Um, not to say that I don't make money to me. Sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> but my principal income comes from being a management consultant. But um, the other reason I like to be able to teach here is because I really like being connected to the next generation of people coming into the labor force. What do they want? What turns them on? What do they want from work? Right. So part of what you give me, too, is that perspective, yeah. that understanding of what it is, what is work for you. Because I've been spending the last 15 years of my life investigating how people experience meaning in their work. And so I need to be able to continue that going forward. So selfishly, I listen to every word that you said. And we've just got a couple minutes left here together. And I want to give each of you, as I do most of my guests, whenever we have any spare time, to, to have the last word. So in, say, maybe one minute, Sylvia, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, um, so I think that, you know, this is the message of your program, but the importance of purposeful work I think is something that, you know, I'm very young, obviously, I don't, you know, have any formal work experience, I, I suppose, outside of the High Institute, but that's something that I want already. And it's so, it's so great to talk about that all the time. I, I would say my message would be, talk about purposeful work, whether you want it, whether you have it, whether you're searching for it. Um, it's such an inspiration to be able to share with people and then to hear from other people too. Um, so I would say, talk about it all the time and it's gonna happen. Wonderful message. Thank you, Sylvia. Maggie? Uh, for me, I think, and even thinking about um, in, in relation to the EV project, I would just encourage your listeners to take action. If they see a problem in their community, they may be in the best place possible as the expert to act on that problem. Uh, and I think they'll be surprised to see how many people come out of the woodwork to express a similar interest or to express uh, alliance in working toward that goal. Um this thinking about Evie, thinking about how, you know, beautiful and lovely she is. And um, that was only possible through the sort of different barriers that we hit up against um, and the different problems we saw within our own campus, but also the problems in Dallas at large, as Dr. Um, Lynch was talking about earlier. Uh, so I would say, don't be afraid to uh, try to pose a crazy solution to a problem that you see and don't know how to manage because others will come alongside you and really help you with that and uh, hopefully bring a solution that'll make a real difference here in Dallas. Wonderful, ladies. What a what a wonderful way to finish. And I also want to applaud the fact that you did mention this very, very, very um, lightly, but you really have had to persevere through a lot to, to make this happen. And that's what that's what is required of really amazing projects that make a difference. And I really want to applaud you and everyone that's been involved in this process to see this thing through. Because one of the things that I know about my research is that one of the great things that most many engineering type minds and skill sets have in common is they like to solve problems, but that doesn't mean they're easy to solve, mm. right? And I really, really want to want to applaud you for that. And I also really want to thank 
Corey Harris, who's the program manager of the Hunt Institute, for talking with me about having having you on as guest and talking about the EV project. It was something that she and I spoke about. And when she first ran it past me, I was like, wait, wait you want me to do what? <laughs> and then when she talked about what the project was and how you all were involved, I was like, this is a no brainer. And again, back to what you both said about really connecting to a purpose. And to me, I think it's incredible that the Hunt Institute and SMU has found a way to, for, to, to be able to usher purpose into your lives and your careers this early on. And I really applaud that. And of course, I want to be a part of it. So thank you both for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about the Hunt Institute and the EV Project, please absolutely visit their site. The ladies mentioned it before, but it's just simply smu.edu forward slash hunt that's h-u-n-t institute join us next week when we're on the air with asling Curtin. she's a psychotherapist from ireland and the co-director of act now purposeful living and she's going to share the work that she does with individuals and companies about acceptance and commitment therapy she is a joy to speak with and has an incredible command in her field will be a great conversation see you then remember work is one third of our lives so let's work on purpose We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.